You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, why don't we put our hands together for our band this morning, if you guys will. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. What a great job it is. It, uh, they do, and leading us before the throne room of God in praise. Let's turn in our Bibles to the last Old Testament book, Malachi. If you guys can make your way to Malachi, if you find the Gospel of Matthew, turn one book left, you will find yourself at Malachi, uh, and it's a, uh, a good book, but all that to say, uh, how is it? You guys doing all right? Hey, we're glad, all three of you are doing good. Praise God. Um, We are honored and humbled that you are joining us today. Uh, We really are. We have prayed. We pray and we have prayed that God would use this sermon, this message, this worship, this gathering time to bless you. Because we don't take this lightly. We're not here to play church. Just kind of have fun and social. We're here at the end of the day for a greatest per, for a greater purpose than our own. Uh, if you're visiting or if you're new for the first time, we're, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, Shorebreak is a church that is all about Jesus. Our vision is simple. Our mission is one, and that is to amplify Jesus, to make much of Jesus. And so when we say we amplify, we exist to make much of him, it means that it's not about me. I'm just a man. It's not about Carl or anyone leading worship. It's not even about you, that we are here to empty of ourselves, to lift high the name of Jesus. And when that happens, when we do that, it means it's no longer about you. It's no longer about me, but it's about him and it's about his glory. So that's why we seek to do all that we do. And so um, that is especially helpful, just so you know, as we will make our way through our verses this morning, that even the book of Malachi, it's not about what I think or what you think, but it's about what God has spoken, what God has said. And so we seek to glorify him in all that we do. And so for us, this means gospel-centered ministry. It means we are a gospel-centered people. Our focus is on Jesus. And so what we seek to do Sunday in, Sunday out is we have gospel-centered music, gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered community, and gospel-centered prayer. And so all, all, all that to say, we're, we're honored to have you here. We're thankful you have taken your time on your Sunday morning, first 10 a.m. service. Technically not our first 10 a.m. service. Uh, we actually originally had one service at 10 a.m. back in the day, but we're glad. 8 a.m. service went well. I'm still awake, praise God. So with that said, let's, let's get to the word. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word right now. Malachi chapter 1. Hopefully you're there. If you haven't gotten there yet, you're not going to, it's over. It's not going to work, but just kidding. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country, and that left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. Ephedim says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. Your church, your people, we declare, Jesus, we declare, God, that you are great. 
that you are good, that you are wonderful. But even in us declaring that you are good, we do not declare you are good because of what we understand to be good. Because our perception of what is good and right is often skewed because we are sinful people. We submit our minds, our hearts, our souls to you this morning. God, today, with beginning the book of Malachi, especially verses 1 through 5, we do not lean on our own understanding. We do not trust in the ways of the flesh, God. God, I need you right now to help me teach these truths. So Lord, help me to decrease, God, so that you would increase. Help me to teach these truths in love, in compassion. Help me to teach them accurately according to your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I was on a camping trip a while back with a group of friends. And uh, we grabbed a bunch of our kayaks. Some of our kayaks were borrowed. And we went down to YPO Valley and launched out, camped for a night, and we're headed northwest to the top of the island. And of sight, it being the most beautiful place probably I've ever been, or one of the most beautiful places. Uh, we launched out at YPO Valley, just fitting as much as we can in our kayaks, camping gear. Uh, priorities like surf gear. We just brought it all with us, threw it in our kayak, and began to paddle out. And of course, when you get a bunch of guys and a bunch of kayaks, no one says there's a competition. But there's a competition, right? Come on, guy. I mean, you guys get, you know, you get competitive, and it's like, yeah, no, we're just cruising. Come on, we got to beat the other guys. Let's go, right? And you're trying to go as fast as you can, trying to beat everyone. And, and so uh, I could hold my own, and, and the, the buddy I was paddling with, uh, is a stud, so I'm, I'm thinking, man, we got this, we own this, we even have a little bit of extra gear than everybody else, so we're going to do just fine, right? Wrong, because we were sitting on top of our kayak at the beginning of our trip, and then as we got closer and closer to Waimanu, I realized we were not on top of the water, but we were paddling in the water, and I'm like, I think we're taking on water, right? And so we're out in the middle of the Pacific, so Let's get quickly as we can to Waimanu Valley, and sure enough, we thankfully made it to Waimanu and picked up our kayak in gallons upon gallons of water just flushing out. And it's like, see, guys, I told you, we, we would have smoked you if it wasn't for, for, for us. Uh, we didn't say that, but I wanted to, just because you heard a guy's ego, right? Um, it hurts, and so, but it did redeem us seeing all the water flowing out and all that to say. If my kayak reminds me of anything biblically, it's the nation of Israel. Specifically, the nation of Israel during the times of when this book of Malachi was being written. Israel and this nation chosen by God is taking on water. Their faith is sinking. Their faithfulness to God growing dim that with each and every step, they are finding it more and more difficult to follow God. Just like with every paddle and our kayak, it was getting harder and harder to move. So with every single step, as Israel has been taking on more and more water, it is getting more and more difficult for them to be faithful and to follow him. They are disillusioned and they are distracted from the beauty of God. Israel at this time of Malachi is is living in a drought, which means if you don't have drought, and if Israel is a very agricultural place, if you don't have water, you don't have food, and if you don't have food, economically you're crushed. In a drought, not a lot of water, not a lot of food, going through extreme economic hard times, on top of being disillusioned, unfaithful to God, living in harsh realities of poverty, but not just physical poverty, but they are spiritually impoverished also. And it's in this 
time. For this very reason, God has chosen to speak to Israel. And he begins through the prophet Malachi, verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. It's around 450 BC, 450, 460 BC, the 70 year exile that Israel was in, held in captivity, is over. Just off of the cuffs of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah has rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and rebuilt the walls to protect Jerusalem. After 70 years, finally, God's people are back in their homeland, in the promised land. Now, even though they have built the temple for worship, there is no true worship that is happening in reality. So what God has done is he's called up this minor prophet to be a voice, the voice of this minor prophet to be calling out the nation of Israel to repentance is no other than Malachi. Now, scholars debate whether Malachi was just the name of this, this prophecy or if it was the name of the actual person giving the prophecy. That's up for debate. Don't have time to go there. We have a, we have a lot of stuff to cover today, but uh, I personally believe, as most do, that Malachi is a minor prophet speaking on behalf of God. And so we read in verse 1, the oracle, the oracle of the word of the Lord. Some translations uh, rightly uh, translate that. Maybe your Bible says that the burden of the Lord. The oracle in the original language actually means burden. And what truths the, Ma the prophet Malachi is about to drop is anything but light. Anything but fun. Anything but easy to hear. There is nothing light. There is nothing soft. There is nothing fun necessarily in hearing these truths. There's nothing insignificant. And this is why we've called this series the burden of Malachi because the word burden in Hebrew is the word speaking of load, heaviness, substance. It's crushing. There is a weight. There is heavy truths behind it. And that's kind of why we called this series the burden of Malachi. I kind of think of, of just this anvil, this heaviness, like, you know, Wiley Coyote? You guys remember Wiley Coyote? Is he still around? I don't even know. But everywhere the guy goes, poor Wiley Coyote, there's this anvil dropping out of the sky, crushing him wherever he goes. And, it does, and he never dies. It just keeps happening. Heavy truth, heavy, just constantly falling on him. And that's the nation of Israel. They are in rebellion against God, and time and time again, God is dropping these heavy truths upon them, and Malachi is no exception, if not one of the heaviest burdens to be dropped on the nation of Israel. Well, why the oracle? Well, look at verse 1. It's the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The oracle? Well, it's a burden to those who would hear it. The oracle is a burden to the one who is giving the message, Malachi, which is talk more about next week, but Malachi means messenger. This is an oracle because it's a burden of the Lord. The oracle, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Oh, and I can identify with the burden Malachi gives here. Because if there's any Sunday you might have wanted to miss, this might have been the Sunday to avoid. <laughs> Even for me too, I've wondered, is there a way I can get out of this one, God? Like, but because, because what Malachi says here is heavy. It's going to challenge every single one of us in here this morning, including me. The word of God is not like a light, crispy fortune cookie, as so many treat it. Oh, it's, you know, it's fun. You just crack it open, and there's going to be some little saying there that's going to be fun to read, and it's going to make you feel better. Now, there are sweet and savory and encouraging verses in the word of the Lord, no doubt. But that's not without the heaviness, the substance, the density, the anvil of truths that are dropped in the scriptures. 
guys, it's a burden because not everyone will believe or like what God is going to say through Malachi. Can I say that again? Not everyone is going to believe or like what God is going to say through Malachi. That's another reason why it's heavy. Not the Israelites, not people today. But it is my hope and prayer that as I have been going over these verses, that, that the anvil of truth that we read here in Malachi would crush us and chasten us and sharpen us more into the image of the Son, that we would be under the weight and the glory of these truths that we read here, we will look more and more like Jesus. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Look at verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. The first thing God has chosen to speak to his people through Malachi is of first importance. First thing I want to say, Israel, I have loved you. Guys, God has loved his people. Isn't that amazing? God has loved his people. God is assuring them of his love for them, which is truly amazing because no one deserves God's love, especially of all people, Israel. It's not going to take us very long to get into the, the book of Malachi over the next few weeks to realize these people have done nothing to earn God's love. So this statement of which God says here should shake them to their core. Because Israel is not entitled to God's love. They've done nothing to deserve God's love, but God declares to them in the midst of their unfaithfulness, I love you, I care for you, my affections are set towards you. So to a people who have become disillusioned with God, God declares to them, people who've lost the beauty of who God is, God declares to them, I have loved you. Are you disillusioned with God this morning? Have you taken on water? Are you spiritually bankrupt? Has your heart wandered from the truth? God declares, I have loved you. God says to you, I have loved you. I wonder what Israel's response must have been when they first heard that. Some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. God loves you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Maybe you don't. I think God had to say this through Malachi the prophet because Israel was doubting God's love in light of their circumstances. We're in a drought. We're going through hard times. I don't understand all that we're going through. This is so difficult. God says, in spite of what you're going through, I've loved you. God declares his love for his own here. God declares his love for his own. I love what John Owen said, 17th century preacher, unconventional but very solid in all that he teaches. John Owen said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. You want to talk about burden? Talk about us putting a burden on the Lord. Not that God can't handle our burden. He is God. He can handle our burden. But to lay an extra burden on the Lord is to question the love that God has for us. Now, the immediate thing, the immediate response to someone might be, okay, God, how have you loved me? All right, pastor. All right, Travis. I get it. You've made it clear. God loves me. How? Verse 2. That's Israel's question here. How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? 
declares the Lord. <sighs> yeah, I've loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. And there's the burden. Right? Like, I like the love beginning. I have loved you, but, but with this, God? I'm going to be the first to say right now, there, there is a mystery in this, okay? I'm not saying I have everything figured out. We see through a glass dimly. There are many unanswered questions when it comes to these truths, and I, it's impossible for me to deal with all of them in this message. But I want to stay true to, the, to the, the tone and the heart and the word of Malachi. Now, yes, while there is a mystery, what God has revealed to us in the scriptures is here the biblical truth of election, also known as the doctrine of election. In fact, Malachi here is the clearest Old Testament truth of the doctrine of election you will find in the entire Old Testament. Now, I know these truths are emotionally charged waters. Some of you are like, is the AC on? It just got hot on here. I know, I feel it too as well. I know many have divided on this truth. Listen, we are not going to divide on this truth as a church. Because we have people who have different backgrounds, different stories, different uh, beliefs on this subject. I'm going to preach what the Bible says. I'm going to preach what the scriptures have revealed to us. Your job is to weigh, to grow in understanding, to hear what God has said. And all the meanwhile, listen, being patient with one another. Being patient with each other. But know this, God in his wisdom gave this word to them. And if God and Malachi was not ashamed about talking about election with God's people, then neither should I. So, we should not neglect. We should not be afraid of. We should not get angry over truths that God has revealed in his word. So the burden What's the burden then? The burden is God's answer to Israel and often our, not answer, but question. The burden is Israel's question to God and often our question to God. And that question is, how have you loved us? God, how? How have you loved us? If you've ever asked that question, have you ever asked that question? God, how have you loved me? How would you answer that question if you were God? Probably write a really nice long hallmark of, of encouragement, right? I would if I was God, but we're not. In fact, God almost does the opposite here. The answer to this question of how God loves us is important. So what is God going to say? Look at, look at verse 2 again. Is not Jacob Esau's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. Wow, God. What kind of answer is that? Someone was questioning your love. If you were God and someone was questioning your love for them, is, is that how you would choose to answer? How have you loved us, God? I've loved you. I've hated your brother. Pray for me, right? <laughs> like, God, are you sure you hate Esau, like maybe the, the Hebrew word for hate doesn't actually mean hate. Maybe it means unicorn, right? I looked it up. It means hate in the Hebrew. 
Now, the image here is not, I, I don't want you to get this, this wrong image. The image here is not, oh, I hate everyone. I love hating everyone. And I guess I had to love somebody. So I ended up loving Jacob. And as a result, I hated Esau. I guess I have to love somebody. So all that's left over is Jacob because I've hated Esau. No. But that in God choosing by election to love Jacob, it meant that he did not have the same love for Esau. So, for example, when I convinced my wife to, to marry me uh, eight years ago, tricked her, whatever you want to call it, uh, into marrying me, um, we, I, I took her out to, uh, on, a, on a hot air balloon ride uh, to propose to her. And, and so we get in the hot air balloon, and I had this guy print out this sign that said, will you marry me? And so we're kind of like in the hot air balloon going over these different hills. And, and sure enough, the guy with the sign grabs the, the will you marry me sign, is jumping over all this stuff. And Juliet's like, what is going on? And then he turns around, holds up the sign towards us, and it says, will you marry me? And then I said, uh, babe, what does it say? She's reading it. She turns to me. He's like, you don't know it? What? You don't know about this? Like, she thinks this random guy is proposing to her, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what, what happened in that moment. And then she quit. It just took a second for her to realize because I didn't know and I threw her off when I said, you know, uh, what, what does it say? Because she was like, what the heck is going on here? So anyways, she said yes and on that altar eight years ago when I took her hand in marriage, I declared that I chose her and I have love and affection for her that no one else will have or experience. And it's true. The love of a husband and a wife relationship is in hatred is hatred compared to almost any other relationship. Isn't it interesting that we, the church, are the bride of Christ, that Christ has a special love for the church that no one else has? Maybe you've never viewed the bride of Christ that way. I have exclusive love and affection for my wife, and so God has chosen by election to have exclusive, specific love and affection for Jacob, and in doing so, Esau is hated. Guys, that's not me. That's the Bible. And if you don't, if you don't like that, then, 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 then wrestle those truths with God, but this is his word. So then why did God do this? Why? God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Listen, I believe God is love. But why here does he hate Esau? There's no other way. It doesn't matter where you're at in your theology. God hates Esau here. Why? God is love, but love is not God. God is love, but love is not God. And to make love a God is to strip God of his majesty. A God that is only love, only gracious, only merciful, never gets angry, has no sovereignty, is no God, but that is an idol. To take one attribute of God and to elevate that attribute, let's say love, to take that attribute of God's love and to elevate that above all his other attributes is to create a God that does not exist. Did you know that the wrath of God is talked about more in the scriptures than the love of God? The God of the Bible cannot be tamed, censored, put in a little cubicle or a box to make us feel comfortable. God is saying to Israel, Israel, you know that I loved you. How? Because I've hated your brother. That's how God chose to show that he loved him. I loved you because your brother I've hated. So God asks this question to Israel in verse 2. Look at verse 2, the middle, he says. How? Have you loved us? And, and God answers Israel's question with another question here. And what does he say? Is not Jacob 
Esau's brother? If we can answer this question and understand it, it will reveal more depths of God's love. So what is the answer to God's question? Is not Jacob Esau's brother? The answer is, of course, yes. They were both born of Isaac and Rebekah. Not only were they both come from the same parents, they were not just brothers, but listen, they were twin brothers. Do you think that's an accident that they're twin brothers? Not only are they twin brothers, but Jacob is the younger brother. Esau is the older brother. And culturally, it meant Jacob got to, Esau rather, got to inherit all the benefits and the blessings of being the older brother and receiving the inheritance. So when Israel says, God, how have you loved us? God would say, you are Esau's brother. You are twins. You are the same blood. You are the same family. He has the rights, but I've loved you and I did not choose Esau. I chose you. I chose you because I chose you. So why did God elect and choose Jacob? and hate, and not elect or choose. I'm sorry, choose Jacob, and why did he choose and elect Jacob, and not choose and elect Esau? Is it because Jacob was a better guy than Esau? When I sat through church, pastors that I love and respect, I heard them talk about Jacob. I hated Jacob. Come on, if you, come on, admit it. Am I the only one? You're going to leave me alone up here? Jacob is a dirtbag. I do not like the fool. I mean, he steals his brother's birthright. He, Jacob, uh, Esau's like the dude there out in the desert, out there in the wilderness fighting, and Jacob, or, and Jacob's like at home knitting. I'm just saying, he is. Like I, there's, I don't identify with Jacob in any way. I find nothing to love uh, in Jacob, but I find things to love in Esau, yet God is the opposite. Why did God elect and choose Jacob and not Esau? Is it because Jacob was going to choose God and Esau was not? Is it was because Jacob was going to receive God's love and Esau was not? Now, lest you take me in the back of the church and stone me, let's go to Romans chapter 9. Everyone, go to Romans chapter 9. I'm not going to answer this. Scripture is going to answer this. I told you it's a burden. Told you it's a burden. Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 is the completion of this truth of which we've, we are c- currently reading. Romans chapter 9 is, in light of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the answer, or part of the answer, because it's not the complete answer, to why Jacob is chosen and not Esau. Verse 1 of chapter 9. I am speaking the truth in Christ. Paul, just letting you know, I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. Let's go down to verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Verse 7, not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So now we're talking about here Abraham, Sarah, they have Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, they, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Isaac gets married to Rebekah. Rebekah and Isaac have Jacob, just so we're tracking here. Sarah shall have a son, verse 10, and not only so, but Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Here's the answer. Here it is, New Testament. Though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad in order 
that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? This verse does not say that God stood outside of time and saw who was going to choose him and who was going to reject him. How can I say that? How how can I say? I didn't say that. The Bible, though they were not yet born, they weren't even born. They did nothing, verse 11, neither good or bad. In order, for what purpose? Why did God do this? In order that the purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of him who calls. So God says, I've done this because I am showing that my purpose of election might continue. I know it's hard. Now, how could, now, if you're questioning that interpretation of what was just said, which some of you might be, which if so, that's completely fine. It's okay. If that were true, wouldn't you say that's unfair of God, right? God, that's not fair. You would just choose Jacob and not choose Esau. Unfair? How do we know we're, un- inter- how do we know we're interpreting that right? Verse 14, this is how we know. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Paul says, if you feel that God is being unjust and doing whatever he wills, however he wills, whenever he wills, when it includes choosing his elect, is God being unjust? Paul says, by no means. We know we've interpreted it correctly because of verse 14. Because Paul immediately assumes in verse 14, the human side of you and me will get angry. Because we like individualism. We like self-power. We like like those things. For he says, verse 15, to Moses, check this out. Paul's not done. I mean, he could have stopped there. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will, Verse 16, or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, verse 18, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. In order for what? That God's purpose of election might continue. Why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? We don't know. We're not told. Except that his purpose of election might continue. God chooses, guys, Going back to Malachi now. God chooses to highlight and exploit his love for Jacob by his hatred for Esau. And if we don't like that, then we, have a pro- then we need to wrestle with the word of God on this. Guys, I have weeped and cried over texts like these because I don't understand them. Now, I don't expect you to, in the blink of an eye, be like, okay, well, of course, I, I'm going to take that all. <laughs> it's a process. The can, the proverbial can has been opened up, and so for some, it will be a journey of discovering these things to be true. How much has God hated Esau? How much has he hated in verse 3? Look, let's look at verse 3 now. Back in Malachi chapter 1. Esau I have hated, I have laid waste his hill country, and I left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. So speaking of hill country there and leaving his heritage to the jackals of the desert, God hates uh, Esau's financial blessing and wealth. Verse 4, if Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins The Lord of hosts say, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. 
In other words, uh, in their pride, if Esau and Edom says, you know what, God's going to tear us down, but we're going to raise our fists against God anyways. And in raising our fists against God, God says, I hate your pride, and I'm going to tear you down. That's what he says to them. And they will be called, verse 4, the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God hates their sin. And we are told that this wicked country will be known for their wickedness and God's hatred for them is unending. God loves, yes and amen, but God also hates. And just so you know, the God's hatred is not like you're in my, my hatred, right? You know when a barista messes up on your drink? It's like off with their head. I mean, you, you honestly, like you have, not our baristas here. Our baristas are amazing. All the other baristas, though, out there. Or how about this? When someone cuts you off, I don't know about you, but when someone cuts me off, I literally think they have specific, unique hatred towards me and my car. And that I have to show a hate to them back because for, for the most part, just so you know, your emotion of hatred and my emotion of hatred is in light of our sinful nature. God's hatred is holy. God's hatred is just. God hates Esau and Edom because there are things to hate about Esau and, 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 and Edom. God hates this world because there are things to be hated in this world. You and me don't love everything in this world. Why should God expect to, to, to love all these things in this world? When he looks at, at, at Jacob, he has love and affection for them. But know this, Esau and Edom will be, be called a wicked people. God is just in his hatred. Psalm 11, verse 4 and 5, the Lord is holy in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and those who love violence. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Esau and Edom, we are told here, will be called a wicked people. So God will keep tearing them down. And notice this, though. God does not bring judgment and hate upon an innocent people. Right? God does not bring judgment and hate upon an innocent people. They're wicked. And the result of their wickedness is the hatred and the wrath of God. Guys, this book we hold in our hands is the very mind and heart of God. So then why would God Stepping back now, why would God start off this message to a rebellious Israel with such heavy truths? In fact, I was talking to someone uh, about us going through Malachi. While they agree with all that uh, is being taught, they said, you shouldn't teach these heavy truths, especially for a new people who are coming or, or people who might be more immature. But after reading through the book of Malachi, Israel is screwed up as the rest of us, right? They're not mature. They haven't arrived. They're not there yet. Yet God chooses to use these truths to bless them. So why would God start off this message of, of rebellion in their rebellion to them in such a way? Look at verse five. Here's the answer. Verse five. Your own eyes shall see this. God is saying, Israel, you're going to see my hatred and wrath towards Edom come to fruition. And when you see my hand of justice move in light of all of me loving you and hating them, the result you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This burden is so they would reclaim in awe of God. This burden is for you and me, that you and me in seeing God's justice and love and hatred and compassion and wrath upon this world would cause us to shudder in his love and to be in utter amazement of who he is. That we would declare, God, you are great. You are amazing. In his glory, 
we are told, will extend beyond the borders of Israel. The point of these verses is to show God's faithfulness to unfaithful people. I am loved by God because God chose to love me. You are loved by God because God chose to love you. God has absolute, unending, unmoving, unshakable, unfailing love for you. Why? Because he chose you. Why did he choose? Your answer is as good as mine. I have no idea. You tell me. Figure that out. Let me know. It's not because of anything we've done, right? God demonstrates and shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You guys, the truth of election does not begin with damnation and hatred. When we believe that no one is righteous, no, not even one. When we believe Romans 3 says no one seeks after God. When we believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we believe that no one deserves his love, we are all deserving of his hatred and wrath. The fact that love would God, that God would love anyone. Oh, this is amazing grace. Listen, every single one of us deserve the wrath and the hatred of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Election begins with love because it's amazing that God would choose to love any of us. None of us are more lovable than one another. None of us are better than each other. It's grace. I don't know if that's fair. Grace isn't fair. It's scandalous. Praise him that his love for you is not based on how good or bad you are. That God loves unlovable people. Guys, God loves unlovable people because no one is lovable in the eyes of God. We have done nothing to earn his love, but he loves us anyways. But listen to me right now. If you are not a Christian, you do not become a Christian by earning God's love. But by receiving his love. The clearest expression of God's love is the sending of his own son to be crucified for our sin. The clearest expression of God's love to you and to me is the sending of his own son to die for your sin and to die for my sin. Because if we're not Jacob, we're Esau. If we are not loved, we are hated. In this, the love of God is made manifest. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4. 9 through 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We love him because why? He first loved us. Do not be delusional of God's love, Christian. Let us find our confidence in God because God has loved us unconditionally because he's chosen us. May this stir a ferocious love for Jesus because he has loved you first. And if you are not a Christian, what does all this mean for you? The fact that you are here is evidence that God's grace is actively working in you. And if you are here, and if you're like, well, I don't know if I'm elect or not. Do you think a saved person cares if they're elect? We love him because he first loved us. Place your confidence not in 
anything you have done, but in all that Christ Jesus has done for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for these truths, Lord. Thank you that this is true love. It's not that we have loved you, but that you loved us and you sent Jesus to be our substitute, to take our sin, that Jesus, as you took our sin, you give us righteousness. That we are no that we in no way could love you, but that in becoming born again, we are given a new heart. We are born again, born from above. And that love and affection is now not aimed at living for our own glory, but living for you and living for your glory. Jesus, great are you. You are great in hatred. You are great in love. You are great in compassion. You are great in mercy. You are great in judgment. We enjoy and love your grace and we pray that you would draw more into your kingdom that we would know the love of God. Not not feel the love of God, but that we would know the love of God. And Lord, even as many of us struggle right now, maybe, maybe our world has crumbled before our eyes. We don't even know how to totally respond to all of these things. God, May we wrestle with you and and press on and lean in your word. May we not divide, but find these truths to be comfortable. Dialoguing in love about them. Unifying under the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, for you. We give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.